This episode brought to you by Manscaped. Use code REVISITED for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. And three, be nice. Come on. If somebody gets in your face and calls you a cocksucker, I want you to be nice. But, but, but Mr. Dalton, sir, what if, what if they, they claim that you're woke and too progressive to listen to your podcast because you're just saying things that require you know, people to just you know, offer other people basic human rights? Mm-hmm. Aha! Checkmate! <laughs> anyway, everybody, welcome back to the latest and greatest episode and blast to the past with 80s Revisited as we talk about, as we take a, let me rephrase that, as we take a ride down to the roadhouse this week with me in the pat in the driver's seat, of course, your host, Mr. Trey Harris, and to my right, my Sam, the Sam Elliott to my Patrick Swayze, producer extraordinaire, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. <laughs> well, partner, uh, Sam Elliott. It's like you know, it's like an accent. You can't do his voice. You, you know, it's no, it's, no, it's, it's like it's the Chris. It's like you know, everybody could thinks they can do Christopher Walken, yeah. but then in, you know, okay, we'll try to do Sam Elliott. Well, uh, well, no, no, that's John. That's that's <laughs> no, no, you can't do it. It's uh, that's harder. That's a whole nother level. <laughs> Iconic voice, but anyway, Roadhouse, everybody. About time we covered it on the podcast, to be honest. May 19th, 1989 was the release date. Uh, IMDb, 6.6. Rotten Tomatoes, 37% critics. However, in tune with IMDb, 66% audience right on the money. Uh, This was made with an estimated $17 million budget, and I think it shows uh, in a good way. I mean that in terms of the... uh, Money well spent, it looks like. Uh, opened $5.9 million, which was good enough for number two in its opening weekend. It could not beat the Gene, I uh, almost said Gene Roddenberry, <laughs> too much Star Trek on the brain. Uh, Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor vehicle, see no evil, hear no evil in its second week. However, it debuted ahead of Field of Dreams in its third week. It would go on to domestically gross $30 million and typical, you know, as we tend to find, uh, no info on worldwide uh, to add to that, but I'm sure if it did release worldwide, it, I'm sure it made some money because Patrick Swayze was a big fucking deal, and he still is, if you ask me. Uh, directed by Rowdy Harrington. What a name. Uh, he also directed Bruce Willis and Striking Distance, and he did one episode of Tales from the Crypt. Uh, written by R. Lance Hill. Uh, he, did, he also wrote Roadhouse 2. And Steven Seagal, uh, he wrote uh, Out for Justice with Seagal, and also written by Hilary Henkin. Nice alliteration there. Uh, they, because I don't know the gender of this person, but the name like Hillary could be a boy, could be a girl. I don't know, so I'll play it safe. But uh, they also wrote Blue Heaven, not the one from the 80s with Rick Moranis and Steve Martin, which was my Blue Heaven. And, he also, and they also wrote Wag the Dog with uh, De Niro and Hoffman, some political movie. I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, cinematography has to be noted that this film looks Good. And there's a reason for that, ladies and gentlemen. That's because the cinematographer for Roadhouse is Dean Cundy, one of the, if not the greatest cinematographer, in my opinion, 
that ever lived. Definitely one of the best. Of course, I think it could be argued, but he he has lit such films as Halloween, the original John Carpenter one, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and Jurassic Park. The man's a legend, in my opinion, and a veteran of the podcast. Numerous other credits as well. Uh, music was by Michael Kamen. He also did Brazil. Basically, let, let me tell you Michael Kamen's career in a nutshell. If you're making an action movie in the 80s and you need an iconic 80s score, an 80s theme, you call Michael Kamen. Hmm. He also did Brazil, Highlander, and most importantly, Lethal Weapon. Saw so that, you know, and saxophone coming in. That's all Michael Kamen. But he also did Die Hard and uh, also notably as well, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which... Uh, if you ever notice that iconic opening music, Morgan Creek uses that, that the production studio Morgan Creek took that theme for their opening. Now I'm not sure if they still use that opening. I don't even know if Morgan Creek pictures is still in business, but every time that logo would come up, it would be the da, 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 Prince of Thieves, Michael Kamen. And of course, starring the late and Always great, bar none. Ha, ha get it, bar none. Patrick Swayze as Dalton. I will never, ever forget where I was when we heard the news that he died because me and Autumn were in Disneyland for Autumn's birthday, and we had just gotten off. Uh, it's now called Goofy's Barnstormers or something, but it used to be a ride, a little roller coaster called something about L.A. because you were going through L.A. And I remember it for two reasons. One, I pulled out my phone because riding it in my pocket and being slammed to the side broke my phone case. Wow. And then when I pulled out my phone, because the case was jingling, the notification was Patrick Swayze died. <laughs> Which honestly, Bad moment. it was ab- double whammy. Mm. Uh, but uh, it was incredibly sad because uh, all the stuff coming out about it, because it was pancreatic cancer, and all the news coming out was that he, had, he was getting better. So I was honestly absolutely shocked uh, because of like, as I just mentioned, you know, the word on the street was he was getting better. He was beating it, which we all were, was hoping that he was because he had just started doing a TV show called The Beast. Uh, I can't remember what channel it was on. I remember seeing the previews for it. Never watched it, unfortunately, because uh, I had cut the cable by then and they didn't have streaming services for everything. Uh, but you know, he had gotten high praise for it. It was supposed to be a really good show. And then, unfortunately, you know, passed away. Uh, it's been, God, it's been a, I think he died in, what, 2009, maybe, Jesse? Um, uh, we can find out. You can check it real one quick. Second. My guess is 2009, I, you I are correct. think it was. Ah, yes. Yep. Uh, September, autumn's birthday, September, <laughs> December 14th. And he died, like, in the town next door to where we were. Like, I was close to him. I could have been there. Yeah. But Patrick. Could have held his uh, hand as he went. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, honestly, like, uh, like he was one of those actors. Now, again, uh, I'm, you know, you never meet your heroes. I mean, no, no act, even your favorite actor is not a hundred percent good human being. But uh, he was one of those actors growing up, in, especially in the '80s, because my mom loved Dirty Dancing. In her Red Plymouth Sundance, she wore that tape out. Uh, so I was as a growing and Ghost. I mean, Ghost was on an iconic movie. Uh, still is for as far as I can, as far as I'm concerned. But I mean, Patrick Swayze was one of those actors that was always present in my childhood, and for most children of the '80s. And then when you get older, you know, in the '90s, Point Break, motherfucker, <laughs> who didn't want to be Bodie? You know, I mean, icon- iconic actor, extremely, extremely talented actor, a huge loss in my opinion. 
But of course, uh, you know, Dirty Dancing, Donnie Darko. He was great in Donnie Darko. I, I remember watching that movie, not knowing he was in it, missing mm -hmm. his names and name in the opening credits. I'm like, holy shit, it's Patrick Swayze. And he was great in it. Uh, Tu Wong Fu, he was great in that. Uh, and of course, Red Dawn, veteran of the podcast. I mean, who could forget Red Dawn? Yeah. Not the remake. But yeah, I, I could talk, we could do a whole podcast just on Patrick Swayze, to be honest with you, because fantastic actor, dancer. Also, you know, a lot of people spoke really highly of him, too, in terms of uh, his work on and uh, some of it off the camera as well. But, you know, everybody has their issues, uh, as we know. Uh, also starring the great and not late Sam Elliott, knock on wood, uh, as Wade Garrett. Of course, Frogs. He was in Frogs, if you've never seen it. If you want to see Sam Elliott without a mustache, watch Frogs. Uh, Tombstone, of course, and uh, Big Lebowski. You know, great actor. Uh, extreme character actor, and by that I mean the same character for the most part. Uh, not 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 saying that is a bad thing because he's he's good at being that kind of character. Uh, honestly, I think one of his best performances was probably actually in the recent *Stars Born* uh, with uh, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. I didn't care for that movie to be honest with you, but to me the best moment in it was him and Bradley Cooper having that brother moment. I, don't know if, I think you, I assume you've probably seen it, Jesse. Yeah, seen it. Uh, and that moment to me was like, God, that, that, that to me was like the best moment of that movie. And of course he's made some comments recently that I don't agree with, but it's America. You're entitled to your opinion, whether it's right or wrong. And some opinions are in fact wrong, but moving on, Sam Elliott's still a great actor. Love to see him show up and stuff and love that voice for Dodge. I think, I think he does Dodge, doesn't mm -hmm. he? Dodge, or no, Ram, yeah, Ram. Yeah. Cause Dodge is Ram is Dodge. Ram built Dodge or whatever, whatever the damn commercial mm -hmm. is. I don't have cable unless it's a YouTube. I need to, I need to search Ram truck on YouTube and then I'll get the ads again <laughs> oh, there you for go. about a month. Uh, that's how, you know, if you want to see a commercial for something, you just search it on Google and then go to YouTube and you will see you it'll pop up that. repeatedly uh marshall teague as the main nemesis well i say the main the main henchman the big bad henchman he's jimmy in this uh he was in babylon five not the first not uh, not the only time you'll hear that show mentioned on this uh one of my favorite shows from the 90s uh coming on usually at 10 o'clock on fox uh he was in armageddon tons of 80s tv including knight rider and the a-team but unfortunately no Hardcastle and McCormick for Marshall Teague. Uh, Kelly Lynch is Doc. Uh, she was in Virtuosity with Denzel and Russell Crowe and the Thomas Crown Affair. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Charlie's Angels. I skipped the line. The one with Drew Barrymore. Uh, ben Gar Gazra, he was the big bad Brad, uh, the, the main, you know, the overlord. He was also in The Big Lebowski with Sam Elliott and the Thomas Crown Affair, the version with, uh, not the version, no, it was a 2000. It was the one with uh, Rene Russo, where Rene Russo gets topless and Pierce Brosnan. Uh, Jeff Healy as Cody, your favorite name, Jesse, and our good friend Ben's fiance. Uh, he's, a, he's a real life musician and he's really blind. He's blind since the age of, uh, I think, like uh, 18 months or eight months, something like that. I don't remember. Uh, he had a top five hit with Angel Eyes, and he unfortunately did pass away in 2008 due to sarcoma, which I believe is something related to cancer. And strangely enough, I say strangely enough, but in you know, the past you know couple of months of episodes, Terry Funk has shown up, and he, he's in. Mm. I totally forgot he's in this movie as Morgan, of course, hardcore hardcore wrestling legend, and he's actually been in a ton of movies, a lot of stunt work, and of course, recently, most recently here on the podcast, at least over the top, uh, Keith David. Always love to see that name show up as Ernie. Uh, of course, they live the thing and the voice of Goliath and gargoyles. 
Uh, and most recently in Nope, which I talked about last week. And I hope y'all have seen Nope because it's a damn good movie. And last but not least, Patricia Tallman or Tallman, however you want, however she pronounces it. Cool last name. Reminds me of Phantasm. Uh, she's the bandstand, babe. But I bring her up because uh, she played Barbara in the Night of the Living Dead remake that was directed by Tom Savini. And she was also a main character in Babylon 5. And she also did stunts in Jurassic Park and Army of Darkness. And if you want to know where she is in Army of Darkness, she's the uh, she-bitch. And then at the end, when they're in the in, uh, S-Mart, and Ash is talking to, uh, what is it, Ted Raimi, Sam Raimi's brother, uh, she's the customer that turns around and like, I'll swallow your soul, and the iconic line, come get some. So there you go. Now, Roadhouse. Now, Jesse, I assume you have seen this movie. You assume incorrectly. I have not seen it. And have you seen it? Oh, you haven't? I have not. Incorrectly. Oh, so I missed the end oh, on yeah. in front of the correctly. Uh, wow. Because this was this was a TBS one. Uh, I think that mm-hmm. no, I, the first time I saw it, I think it was on like on network TV. You know, the, the ABC Saturday Night Movie, Roadhouse. <laughs> and then TBS got the, you know, TBS or TNT got the rights. And it you know, it wasn't as often as the Beastmaster or some of the other films. But I do remember catching it a lot on cable. Uh, didn't see the actual version until much later because uh, as a kid or, or as, as a young, you know, mid early teen, late teenager, you know, I liked the movie, but it was always like my same complaint I have today. This movie is an hour and 54 minutes long. It is wow. 24 minutes too long. That's my, honestly, that's my only complaint with this movie. The fights are fun. Patrick Swayze, is Patrick Swayze's charisma oozes off the screen. Sam, him and Sam Elliott are great together because they're both kind of, you know, they both have that kind of country aesthetic kind of to them, you know, uh, and everything. They work well together. The fights are fun, like I said. The, and the movie just looks good. I mean, look at the fucking lighting, man. That's Dean Cundy. It looks great. Uh, now, it does, you know, I think one of, you know, Dean Cundy, I think he, he's one of the best cinematographers to light nighttime scenes. And I, I, my example of that is the original Halloween. Now, does he do it great in every single thing he's done? Well, he did it great in Halloween, and he did it great in Escape from New York. So for the most part, he likes things very well. Uh, if, I, if I was making a dream movie, my cinematographer would be Dean Cundy. So the music, I mean, the music, <laughs> the, uh, the movie looks great. Uh, your leads are fine. Uh, I mean, of course, your main two leads are absolutely iconic and incredible. Uh, but your supporting cast, a lot of character actors in there. I didn't mention all of them because there's a lot of people in this movie. Uh, but you know, it's 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 well done. It's a it's a great late '80s action movie. But again, there's no no. I, I don't want to make that claim because that's a little bold. I was going to say there's no great action movie that's over two hours. But I mean, I think Terminator Two is over two hours. So <laughs> shoot myself in the foot with that that comment. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not broad. actually saying that. You know, but mo- in the 80s, most action movies clock in at, you know, hour 40, hour 30, for the most part. This movie has parts that absolutely drag. The love story is like, I think could have been much, could have been shortened a lot. You know, keep the bare ass in the moonlight walk by Swayze and uh, Doc. But, uh, you know, you could shorten a lot of that to get to the action soon because there's a... Uh, you know, it, it sets up starting the story really great. It gets moving, and then it just kind of lulls. While like they're making sure that you know that uh, Brad is owns the town and all that kind of stuff, and he can do whatever the hell he wants. 
Like we got that from the moment he walked on the screen. Didn't need to dwell on it. And I, I would, in that case, I would, in this instance, I should say, I would blame the director. I would say, Rowdy Harrington, you know, your editor needed, I don't know where that was, you know, how, how the script, you know, the script to screen translated. But it's safe for, in my opinion, of course, I think it's safe to say that this movie is 24 minutes too long. <laughs> that's honest, and that's honestly my only complaint with it. Uh, there's, a, there's the action's fun. You know, it's uh, it's not a martial arts film. It's not, you know, Rambo taking on a whole bunch of VC or Russians in the desert or in the jungle. It's bar fighting. So, you know, it, it's and and there is there is martial arts involved, but this is not a martial arts film. So, you know, don't don't try to correct me on that. Uh, a lot of kick. I think kickboxing was the main uh, style that is used by the uh, protagonist antagonist uh, in it. So. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, as an adult, as, as a kid, you know, I, I did. I found as a young man, I should say, I found it boring. For you know, until the action, you know, it's it's it, it has to. It, there's a lot of fights, but again, they all kind of happen in the second. You know, you got a couple in the in the beginning when he's kind of cleaning up the bar, and then there's this big lull, and then there's all these fights at the end. There's mm-hmm. maybe one in the middle, like where they're unloading the beer, the alcohol, and he's like, "Oh, we're not we're not unloading it," and then that's when Sam Elliott shows up and. Helps him. That's honestly probably the worst fight of the movie to it. That one looks, that's the only one I honestly have to complain. That fight looks a little, uh, you know, step one, step two, kind of, if you get my drift in terms of the choreography. But for the most part, you know, I'm not, you know, this is, it's a, Roadhouse is a classic. Uh, for, it's, it's a classically bad movie. Is, is Roadhouse a good movie? To me, I would say no. But it is a well done movie that is entertaining. So I guess it is a good movie <laughs> to contradict myself in the same sentence. Mm-hmm. I mean, Patrick Swayze rips out a dude's throat. Anytime you see a throat get ripped out, it's because of this. It's from this. It's a reference to Roadhouse. <laughs> uh, pretty much. For the, I can't think of an earlier instance of when it happened, at least in American cinema. Now, I'm sure there there's probably could be some Asian cinema where it's happened. Uh, predating Roadhouse, but not to, not to my personal knowledge. But then again, everybody remember... I just sound like I know everything. I don't actually know everything. So yeah, that's kind of the my that's my thoughts on Roadhouse for the most part. Again, to just sum up one more time, too long. It's just too long. You could go in if I had if I had some editing software and a good and a good chunk of free time, I could cut this movie down to an hour and a half, and it would be, in my opinion, a lot better. Uh, but as it is. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. I understand. This is. I understand why people love it more than I do. Uh, absolutely. Again, it's got. A, it's. There's a ton of talent. Uh, I was gonna say behind the camera, but the the director's really not done anything of worth. <laughs> this is the fight I was talking about, Jesse. Since you haven't seen it, yeah. It's very uh, like oh, step one, like yeah, like okay, you know, A B C D mm-hmm. E F G in terms of like the movements. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not bad. It's 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 a it's still fun. This movie's this movie's fun. Uh, spoiler alert! It it you know it, it always stings. I always forget that. Uh, again, spoiler alert that uh, Sam Elliott dies. I always forget that until I'm watching. Like wait, and I'm, it, gets, it gets to the moment with the reveal where he's dead, and it's like, wait, wait, oh 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 shit! I forgot. Yeah, he is. He does die in this. <laughs> uh, so it's there's good old Terry Funk. God damn, like Sam Elliott, look at the hair, the head of hair on that dude. I'm so jealous. God, I wish I could, I wish I had that hair. I wish I had that hair at any age. I never had good <laughs> hair. 
like him, Sam Elliott and Kurt Russell probably had the have the best hair of any like human being on earth that I could think of offhand at least. I always wanted to see like that. I wanted hair that when I when it got long, I could just rub my hand from forehead to back and it's perfect. <laughs> just good. I could I could get in a fight, beat the shit out of somebody and just rub my head, you know, forehead to back and my hair is perfect for the conversation to follow the fight scene. Not that mm-hmm. lucky. I'm lucky in other other regards but not not in hair. In fact, for people that want a visual, my bar, my barber jokes about this all the time. It's like, "Oh, like this side of my hair is straight, and then this side of my hair is curly. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have fucked up hair, uh, and it's thinning. So there's always there's always that fun part of being an older dude and your hair thinning, and then looking at Sam Elliott and all these and Tom Cruise. <laughs> I mean, like, God damn it, why, why can't I? Have? Uh, I mean, I know why they're actors. I mean, that's exactly why. Uh, watch the always listen to the Always Sunny podcast, right? And they they talked about it too. It's like I relate to this speech right here when he's talking about hair loss and uh, how everybody in Hollywood's wearing a wig. Everybody, for the most part, <laughs> except like the really, really rich, rich people, uh, they're all wearing wigs. With the blessed so, ones, but, like Sam Elliott. Yeah, the few and far and Kurt Russell, yeah, few and far between. But uh, you know, one of the you know, and Patrick, you know, Patrick, Patrick Swayze is a good head of hair to hair too. But he's got that wavy kind of mullet, you know, mm-hmm. not my favorite, but it suits him. But there's not an ounce of body hair on him, and it's almost like Patrick Swayze went into the future and had. A manscaped lawnmower 4.0 to get rid of all that excess body hair to be the sleekest and and silkiest kickboxing bouncer in the your second best according to the film under uh, Sam Elliott. But of course, everybody, in case you missed it in the beginning, support for Asia Visited is brought to you by Manscaped this month. Uh, who's the best in men's below the waist grooming? Their products are precision engineered today for your family jewels. Their performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Over 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code REVISITED at manscaped.com. And if my math is correct, 6 million men equal 12 million balls. Give or take a few because, you know, right. some people only have one ball. Some people have none. You know, testicular cancer is a real thing. Do your testing at home, people. But yeah, anyway, there you go. And, and I'll tell you right now, we talked about this last time, but uh, the uh, the weed, the nose trimmer that that package comes with, mm-hmm. I I personally have used several brands of nose trimmers, and I will say this: the lawnmower, uh, excuse me, the lawnmower is the Clippers, but the Weed Whacker is the best nose trimmer I personally used, aside from actually getting my nostrils waxed. And yes, yes, I get my nostrils waxed, and guess what? It doesn't hurt. However. <laughs> That requires a visit to the stylist, and I can't do that all the time. So ears, nose, the Weed Whacker, I'm telling you guys, if you're looking for a good nose trimmer, the Weed Whacker is the best one I've personally used, and I've tried multiple brands, so I can't recommend that one enough. And, of course, the lawnmower is a really good trimmer. I use it all over. I mean, of course, it's designed for that. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you can do it in the shower. So, you know, do your eyebrows first. Do your eyebrows first. And you know, Start at the top and go down if you're going to do full body. Don't start with your balls and ass crack. Those are for last. You start at the top and go down. But again, you can use it in the shower. You can rinse it off if you want to start from bottom to the top, but never go ass to mouth. Yeah. Like they say in that episode of South Park. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, was that Lemmy Wink? Was that Lemmy Winks? Was that that episode, Jesse? You, you yeah, got a little bit better yeah, memory man. of some of the episodes than I do. It's not fresh it was, in my uh, mind. It was, yeah. it was, it was uh, the fish one. The, the, fan, the It's like, oh, yes, I remember. Never go ass to mouth. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's that episode. <laughs> 
that's the, that's the one. Uh, but anyway, uh, there was a now. The, now the yeah, trivia for this fish. movie is like pages on high. I was shocked how much trivia there was on this film. Uh, but I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. Uh, and of course, this film's been covered by many other podcasts as well. In fact, check out the Bamcast with our good friend Ben Wyatt was on it talking about uh, Roadhouse as well. But just some of the high points. Uh, the character of Dalton was named after Dalton, Georgia. The actual city, there's not a person called Dalton, Georgia. Uh, one of the screenwriters, Lance, uh, R. Lance Hill, was passing through and stopped at a local bar, and the establishment and its patrons left an impression on him. So as a tribute to the town, he named the protagonist Dalton. And it's actually funny, too. Now, I've not written a script, uh, like a full script in my life, uh, but I have thought of character names. And, I, and like I'll tell you right now, if you look for character names, go for a drive and look at the exits. Because uh, up in northern Louisiana, me and Autumn went up in Monroe, which I never recommend visiting. Sorry if you live in Monroe; it's just it's a boring town. And believe me, I've I live in boring towns, so I'm not you know I'm not saying I'm better than anybody that lives in Monroe. You know, my dad went to college at LA Tech in Ruston next door, so it's a near and dear area to my family. Anyway, but between Ruston and Monroe, me and Autumn were driving, and all the town names were like just single words. So we literally were driving, and every town exit we made a character out of that person. All the way there, so we 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 actually wrote a, a little script <laughs> verbally doing that. So that's so I can relate to that. Like that's, that's that's honestly a really good way to come up with names for things. Seriously, if you're so if you got writer if you can't think of names, go for a drive somewhere that you haven't been and look at the exits, look at the towns. Um, t- it, 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 like legit, it works. Yeah. Uh, and so Jesse, you know, next time you're writing something, you're trying to get a name, just head on up to. My- and all oh, the way up yeah. to Monroe. I go four hours north just to get some character names. Or just, you know what, go on Google Maps and look at the exits. There you go. <laughs> but uh, our, our, our story was a, a, about a, a cowboy that rides into town to stop the villainous sheriff who actually is, like, exploiting the brothel. You know, typical Western story. But the names just fit it perfectly. So, uh, again, it works. It's fun. Uh, but due to a knee injury he sustained from filming, Swayze actually had to turn down the role, two iconic roles. One of Gabriel Cash in Tango and Cash, with which went to aforementioned best hair in the world, Kurt Russell, and the lead in none other than a series that has been revived thanks to a Hulu original called Prey, Predator 2. That's right. We almost had Swayze versus Predator. Now, I'm, happy, I'm fine with Danny Glover because he killed that. Right? Like that's, that's his second best role to me after Lead the Weapon. Uh, but I would have loved to see Swayze you know, use, uh, or should I say Dal well, at that time, not 90. Yeah. That'll be Dal. He wasn't Bodie yet. So I'd like to see Dalton fight a predator. Be nice. Motherfucker. Yeah. Bam. Throws him out of the bar. Would have been great. Uh, <laughs> alas, but he chose to make ghost instead, which, Hey, it w- Hey, Tango and cash worked out for Kurt Russell. We got to see Kurt Russell in drag. Uh, predator two worked out for Danny Glover. Second best movie he was in and ghost worked out for Patrick Swayze. Cause that was probably, after Dirty Dancing, his most iconic role is Ghost. Uh, we used that as follow-up to Roadhouse, uh, mainly because it was less physically strenuous because he hurt his knee on this movie, and it actually ended up being a blessing because Ghost was a huge hit and received critical acclaim, whereas Tango and Cash was a box office flop, unfortunately, because which blows my mind. It's a great movie in hindsight, but so was Roadhouse. But both are, have gone on to be cult movies for the most part. And I thought this was hilarious. You got to remember, too, people in the 80s, Dirty Dancing made Patrick Swayze a star. Think of Harry Styles today, how he's getting 
two and a half million fucking dollars for being in a movie and Florence Pugh is only getting 700,000 and mm. she can act circles around that motherfucker and his girlfriend is the director. All that I know simply from news headlines on Facebook. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it's, it's, it's that thing. Like all that I know against my will, but I'm a total Florence Pugh stan. I think she's one of the best actresses out there today. Uh, and you know, like you have a, uh, now I'm I'm not gonna get on that soapbox. I'm gonna I'm gonna scoot the soapbox back under the table, and we're gonna continue talking about Patrick Swayze. Uh, but he was huge, and like and and huge in terms of all, all aspects. I mean, he was a big big time actor, but his fame caused problems mainly while they were filming among the female persuasion, and I'm sure a lot some men too. Nothing wrong with that. A uh, pickup truck containing a group of middle aged blonde women attempted to drive right up to his trailer to meet him. Uh, during the big fight by the river, where he rips the guy's throat out, uh, where he rips Marshall Teague's throat out, throat out, a raft of Swayze-loving ladies sailed by. A female extra playing a waitress was too busy staring at him to watch where she was going and spilled all of her drinks on another extra. That Now, see, that's exactly why I was gushing over Patrick Swayze earlier. Because <laughs> the man is an icon, was an icon, and still is. Uh, Marshall Teague uh, actually didn't initially get along with Swayze while they were filming, but while they were filming their big fight, they both kind of realized like while they were doing it, they had, they had a mutual dedication to making the film as realistic as possible, which improved their relationship. And they developed so much mutual trust that they improvised a lot and allowed each other to throw real punches and kicks. Uh, when Jimmy swings a log at, Dal at Dalton, uh, Teague mistakenly thought it was a breakable prop log. It wasn't. And Swayze was covered in bruises and had two broken ribs and the aforementioned busted knee that caused him to not be in Tango and Cash or Predator 2, but got him ghost. Uh, Swayze and Teague did one fight around 71 times, and it took five days. So, yeah. For a fight scene, that is, in fact, dedication. And Pat and Swayze, at least, had the scars and busted knee, which is hard, especially when you're somebody as nimble and, you know, with a dancing background like Swayze had to have to deal with. Uh, strangely enough, Annette Benning. Now, my mom gets, like, she's been mistaken for Annette Benning. Like, like I'm not even joking. Like, yeah, it's like my God. <laughs> like, my, people have literally told my more than once, not just one person. I said, my God, I did a double take. I thought you were Annette Benning. And my mom hates Annette Benning. She doesn't like her, <laughs> which blows my mind because she loves, uh, what's that movie where uh, uh, the American president, I think, with Michael Douglas, where he's the president and she's right. like the, whatever movie that, she loves that movie, but she doesn't like Annette Benning for whatever reason. I don't know why. But uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Lynn, uh, Kelly Lynch claims that uh, they were, she, was re she replaced Annette Benning because there was no chemistry between Annette Benning and Patrick Swayze. And Annette Benning to me, she's a you know, she's an okay actress. I mean, I'll never I would never put her on a pedestal, but uh she was great in American Beauty, and that's all I can think <laughs> of. She had a uh not again, not sliding her, just she's not my favorite actress. You know, you know, she's no Margot Robbie to me, but uh there are a few who are. Uh the monster truck that drives through the Ford dealership is actually Bigfoot Seven, driven by former vice president of Bigfoot, Jim Kramer. What a stereotypical name, Jim Kramer. That could be a villain in a movie. That could be like the the, the Wall Street the guy, assistant right? cop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a guy who screams at you on CNN. Yeah, I think it's definitely Kramer. It's uh, I, can't, yeah. I don't know if it's Jim Kramer. Or not, but I know you. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. But that one scene 
cost half a million dollars was done in one take and they had to repaint the truck after it. Uh, and that same truck would go on to be the one that you might have seen at on uh, Sunday, 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 where, you know, at the monster truck rally at the river center, you have to pay for a full seat, but you'll only need the edge. You know, those kind of things. So you might have actually seen, if you went to any monster truck things in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, you probably would have seen the truck, the, the, the star, so to speak, of Roadhouse. And according to Sam Elliott, all of the actors did their own stunts. They were all trained by Benny and the Jets. Dude, actually, no, Benny the Jet. I'm going to massacre this last name. So I do apologize. Urquidez, uh, who was himself a holder of nine black belts in nine different disciplines. Uh, he believes so much in Swayze's abilities because Swayze is Jesus, I guess. I don't know. He's amazing. Uh, <laughs> they suggested that Swayze actually become a competitive kickboxer. He was so impressed with uh, how he picked it up. Wow. The man can do anything. He's Patrick Swayze. Uh, he, had both gro- he had both of his groins insured. You have two groin muscles, everybody. It's not just your, ba- you know, your groin is not your balls. Uh or maybe it is, and I'm completely off. Maybe he's talking about both of his testicles. I don't know. But your groin muscle is, I believe, I'm not a nurse, is those muscles, you know, interior of your legs, I think. I'm pretty sure. Again, <laughs> I'm not a doctor. But they were insured for over $3 million. Such was their importance to the plot because he had to do all these kicks. He had to move. And towards the end of filming, production was briefly stopped when Swayze felt that he was – he thought his muscle – they were getting tight. But the medic discovered – Get this, everybody. This is hilarious. It's legitimately hilarious. Swayze had accidentally put on two pairs of underpants that day. <laughs> so that's why his legs were tight. Mm-hmm. I've never done that in my entire life. I have never put on multiple pairs of underwear accident? by accident. Yeah, that's weird. I don't know. <laughs> now, as a child, I thought boxers were shorts and that you wore tidy whities under boxers. But I've never in my life worn boxers. I wear boxer briefs. And you get a free pair of those when you get the uh, package from Manscaped using the code REVISITED on their site. And free shipping. Wink, wink. Anyway, there you go. Sam Elliott claimed that this is what he's recognized for the most, which I find hilarious. Wow. uh, uh, Because, I I mean, I think of Big Lebowski and Tombstone. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, he almost turned it down because he thought it was too similar to his role in Mask. You know, where the in mask how we beat people up all the time. <laughs> I haven't seen I haven't seen Mask in thirty years, so I don't even remember what he did in that movie. Yeah, I didn't remember he was again. in that movie. But <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. It's not that's not my kind of movie. <laughs> Eventually, we'll have to because it'll be one of the few films we'll have left to do with the eighties, depending how long we go. <laughs> uh, but the film's original tagline actually referenced Dirty Dancing, and the original tagline was for Roadhouse, which is great. The dancing's over. Now it gets dirty. Which is fantastic. It's just made it a sequel to Dirty Dancing. <laughs> I couldn't use that tagline. That's a, that's a fantastic tagline. Uh, when Dalton uh, first shows up at the Double Deuce, which is really a... Did you really have to name your place the Double Deuce? <laughs> I mean, I, uh, that name doesn't hold up. You know, Titty Twister, that's a great name. You know, Snake Eyes or something. Double Deuce. Don't forget it. One-Eyed Jacks, there's another, you know, Twin Peaks. There's a Twin Peaks reference for you. That's a good bar name. But the Double Deuce, nah. But uh, when he first walks in, he stands next to a post. And on that post is carved Buddy's Corner. 
Because let me tell you something, people. Whenever you see graffiti that is pro or anything that is prominently like shown in a shot, that is done by the set dressing nine times out of ten for a reason. So whenever you see something, that means something. And in this case, Buddy was Patrick Swayze's nickname. I'm not your buddy, pal. I hope he said that at least once in his life. <laughs> uh, he also Swayze also claimed that the film, quote, changed the concept of club security across the planet. And the director, Rowdy Harrington, said, that's the appeal of the movie. It goes into a world people haven't seen. Okay, sure. I'll take your word for it. Now, this, is, now this next piece of trivia is one of the most insane, incredible, I wish I could see this pieces of trivia ever on this podcast. You, so, so you've been warned. Hmm. Now, wrote, now you've seen... Now, look, uh, Beetlejuice, Heather's, um, what other uh, movies that have been uh, Toxic Avenger have inspired Broadway plays or off Lion King or off Broadway plays. Add to that list Roadhouse. There was an off Broadway production of this film produced in 2003, and it had this is this is the the title is probably one of the longest titles of all time. This is the title Roadhouse. The stage version of the cinema classic that starred Patrick Swayze, except this one stars T-Mac from the 80s cult classic, The Last Dragon, wearing a blonde mullet wig. That is the title. It's a title. It's a description. It's everything I need to know to want to see this. <laughs> I haven't gone to YouTube to see if it's actually available. It's not. not. What a bummer. From what I could tell, I, it's not. What a bummer. That is a damn shame because I would pay some money to see that. <laughs> uh, and according to the casting crew and also in the 89 interview with actor Sam Elliott, the original cut of the movie. Now, again, what's my complaint about the movie? It's an hour and 54 minutes, which makes it 24 minutes too long. The original cut was three hours and 20 minutes. Some of the deleted scenes include Dalton making the other bouncers wear ballet outfits and dance as part of their training. That Good thing that was on the cutting room floor. Not that it wouldn't be funny, but that would, again, it's already, uh, the movie's already too long in an hour 54. That should have been left out. That I don't think that would play well today anyway. There's also a still picture showing Dalton fighting with Ketchum, the guy with the knife boot inside the double deuce and a different fight than the one in the film. And most most of actress Kathleen Wilhoit scenes who played Carrie Ann were deleted. Now, this picture, <laughs> oh, we got a still picture of it. Come on, <laughs> that is incredible. Who do, it's like Joe Dirt meets Bruce Lee, meets Enter the Dragon. It's incredible, and I hate Joe Dirt. My wife loves it, but I hate Visual it. reference. <laughs> yeah, it's again, visual reference on audio podcasts, I apologize, but just Google it. Right, Playbill, uh... September 23rd, 2022, Mullets and Martial Arts Roadhouse, inspired by the movie Stars Off-Broadway, December 9th. Mm. Google the picture. You have to see the picture. The picture is a picture truly is worth a thousand. In this case, 2000 words. Played uh, by Roadhouse. Tiamat from Last Dragon. Yep. Incredible. Awesome. <laughs> the thing that I never knew existed that I never, that I need in my life more than anything right now. Uh, now, of course, Roadhouse would not go on to win any Oscars. However, it was nominated for five golden raspberry awards. They were for worst picture. And eh, no, Worst director, possibly. Worst screenplay, 
Yeah, probably worst actor. No, you get that. You get that. I, I would walk up and slap them and tell them to keep Patrick Swayze's name out of their mouth. And worst supporting actor in this case, not Sam Elliott, but Ben Gazzara as uh, Brad, the big bad. Uh, it didn't win any, which is good. Uh, again, it could have gone to director because that's probably the week. Technically, that's probably the directing and editing are probably the weakest points of this movie. And this movie does have another piece of history. It is the first movie ever to be given the Riff Tracks treatment by Michael Nelson, who uh, recorded a downloadable humorous commentary in the vein of MST3K to be played in sync with the movie. And he had previously claimed that this film was the cheesiest movie ever made in his book, Mike Nelson's Movie Mega Cheese. Mm. Body count? Eight, which just surprised me. <laughs> I, I, I knew, I, I was, when I saw body count at the bottom of the IMDb trip, it was like, four? Nope. Double it. Eight bodies left on the ground by Swayze in this film, which makes this film much more bloodier than you would assume based on just the name and the plot and everything. And again, nobody expects the throat rip. And God, look at that. Look at that. Matt. God, I would go gay for Swayze. Jesus Christ. What a <laughs> man. What a specimen. Uh, anyway, a sequel, Roadhouse 2, was released directly to DVD in uh, 2006. It was set many years later and tells the story of Dalton's adult son. Uh, it features no characters from the original and only a few references to Dalton, who unceremoniously was reportedly shot dead before the film took place. See, that's the number one rule of a sequel. If you can't get the actor, you never say they're dead. You, you know, you, you got to leave it like open that maybe this crappy sequel <laughs> could do something mm -hmm. to where we get the original actor back and you don't have to backtrack on your continuity. Never say they're dead. Unless you can get the main actor only, like Swayze's like, yeah, I'll be in it, but I want to be killed in the first 10 minutes. Okay, in that case, you do it. So you get Swayze in it. But then, and then you go on from there. But you don't just, oh, we can't get Swayze. He doesn't want to do it. Just write him out. Just say that, oh, it's Dalton's brother. Or, you know, you, you know whatever. You know, just, just leave it at that. And you show the picture on the wall, like this Independence Day sequel. Where they, talk, they show the picture of Will Smith because Smith didn't want to be in it. <laughs> but uh, on September, no. Okay, here we go. On September 9th, 2015, it was announced that Ronda, Rowdy Ronda Rousey, would star in a remake of Roadhouse. Uh, on October of that same year, Nick Cassavetes was announced to write and direct the film. However, plans fell through and the remake was quietly canceled in 2016. Now, there are numerous female actresses that I would love, that I would have no problem seeing in a Roadhouse reboot, in a remake, as they said here. Ronda Rousey is incredibly talented, uh, in her field of UFC. Uh, she's, got, she's also gotten much better in the field of professional wrestling. However, I have seen her in movies. Uh, the, my first example would be The Fast and the Furious. Whichever one she was in, it was the one where they ramp the car out of one skyscraper, fly through the air, and the car goes into another skyscraper, and they're totally fine. <laughs> if we've learned anything in the real world, you can't take a vehicle and put it through a building and expect it to survive. It makes the building fall mm. uh, too soon. Not according to South park. No, that reference mm -hmm. is not too soon. Uh, but anyway, uh, and her in that movie, uh, pretty bad actress. So that is my That is my only reason for not wanting to see Ronda Rousey in a roadhouse remake. Could she be one of the bouncers in it? Could she be a supporting character? Absolutely. But the main character 
no matter what gender or sexual or sex of the person would be, I just want them to be a good actor or actress. And I don't think Ronda Rousey would be that. It would be, it would be unanimously panned. I imagine. Now, could she be? Could, could she? Could I be wrong? Absolutely, absolutely. But however, that's in the past because now, as of uh, November of last year, it has been reported that they are going to do a remake of Roadhouse, but not with Ronda Rousey, but with Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, and Doug mm. Lyman directing. And just earlier this year, in August, the full cast was announced, including Conor McGregor. Uh, and it will debut on Amazon Prime Video. And the film is rumored to have a similar plot with a modern twist. Don't you love hearing those words? Uh, Hall's character is to be a former UFC fighter who is now retired and working at a roadhouse in the Florida Keys. There is so much nope in that description that just auto, this is a movie. Now I hope I, 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 when I say something like this, of course I'm a negative Nancy. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope. And it's not about that. It's going to debut on Amazon and they debut on streaming. Cause good fucking movies come out on streaming these days. You know, the direct to video stigma is gone. As far as I'm concerned, there have been some bangers that have come direct to streaming. Uh, Prey being the most recent example. That's a theater quality movie and should have gone to theaters. It's a shame it didn't because it's fucking incredible. But uh, yeah, so Jake Gyllenhaal, I have no problem with him. Uh, I do prefer him in more, uh, what's the word? I'm Quirky roles, if that makes sense. Like Donnie Darko, like Prisoners, uh, Nightcrawler. Uh, you know, I, I didn't see Southpaw. I've heard it's pretty good. I haven't seen it. Uh, so he's played a fighter before. I don't like the UFC angle. I think that's a little, I'm not a UFC fan to begin with. So I think that's a little too, uh, a little too modern, so to speak. I don't think you need to add Conor McGregor. You don't need to add an actual UFC fighter in it. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of silly unless he's the bad guy, unless he's the heavy to go against Jake Gyllenhaal. But I would imagine that McGregor would be the Sam Elliott S character. No, Gyllenhaal's he's, trainer. Who? He's the Terry oh. Funk. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be here for that. I would like that better. You know, and I'll be like, here's here's my pitch for a Roadhouse sequel or a remake. You know, sure, keep Gyllenhaal. That's fine. I can't think of who I'd cast off the top of my head. Uh, but don't make him a UFC fighter. Make him a former professional wrestler. And I'll tell you why. Because that serves the story better. Yeah. Who's going to fuck with a UFC, a former yeah. UFC fighter? Not many people. Oh, but but a, prof- a former professional wrestler that they're gonna get fucked with all over the place, you know. And the thing the thing is, he should you know make him a former former professional wrestler who you know wore wore pink. And I'm only saying I'm not saying that because that's derogatory. Because the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be wore pink and black. So I'm saying that for the general perception of people who don't watch wrestling. Oh, you're like, oh, you, you, look, it's the guy that wore the pink spandex. They think he can't fight. That's the thing. He, then automatically, your character's underestimated. So there's a reason for people to challenge him. You know, if you, this plot, you know, hmm, he was a former UFC. Yeah, he was undefeated except this one guy who beat him. This guy called McGregor. Get me McGregor. So it's going to be like, you couldn't beat me. You couldn't beat me in the ring, Jake. You don't going to beat me here on the banks of the river. 
fuck you, Connor. And he rips his throat out. No, no, that doesn't work. That is so cliche. We just wrote the movie right there. You know, and again, I'm not a, I'm not an award-winning screenwriter or nothing. I'm just a person on a podcast with ideas based on how movies worked before. And just an idea, just a trial balloon. And it's also copyright 2002-22, Asia visited that idea. So you can't change it now. I own the rights because I said it aloud on a podcast. That's all there is to copyright, right? You know, anyway, getting aside, uh, will I watch it? Absolutely. Will I, am I excited for it? Not in the least. Uh, mainly because Swayze's not here to be in it. Yeah. <laughs> to be you know to where he could be the Sam Elliott character. You know what? If you if you if you're gonna do a legit remake with Gyllenhaal, fine. Bring Sam. Oh no, his you know have him be somebody else at least, or, or have you know, have a have something you know. May, uh, nah, you can't, really can't. I take that back. You can't have him in it. You have him a voice on the telephone or something, or or play Gyllenhaal's dad, even or something. Just have like <laughs> something. I mean, and this is road. This isn't fucking Star Wars or the MCU. This is Roadhouse. Who cares if, honestly, who cares if Sam Elliott's in it? You know, let him be like a Captain Lou Albino character who was his manager when he was a wrestler. My God, this movie, by God, by God, this movie's writing itself. <laughs> uh, Triple H, since you're running WWE right now, <laughs> here's your idea for a WWE movie. You know, make a Roadhouse sequel. Yep. But see, like, honestly, I mean, you know, like this, you know, there's, I, I know there's movies like this where, like, oh, former UFC, like, people don't have to be former badasses to be a badass, you know, uh, in my opinion, because uh, that, that gives you an underdog angle, like, oh, you're, oh, you're just fighting bars. You can't beat like a real fighter, you know, don't make him anything. There's, there, there's an even better one. He's just good at being a bouncer because being a bouncer is different from being a, you, you know, You've seen it before, you know, wrestlers fighting. Well, you've seen it in Rocky where a bot where Hogan Thunderlips fights Rocky, <laughs> you know, and then you see you've seen it uh, in the real world where uh, McGregor fought. Uh, no, wait, who was no? Uh, who was uh, there was a what was that where there was the uh, was it Mayweather fighting somebody who wasn't a fighter? There was something recent. There was a big like fight Jake, like uh, Logan Paul or something. Oh, was that was that it? Logan Paul fighting? Uh... He fought Mayweather. Okay, or uh, it seems I mean, like it was, was a uh, U.S. No, 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 no. Didn't McGregor fight fight Mayweather? Wasn't there a UFC boxing like where? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What is that? McGregor. What I'm thinking of was it McGregor and uh, Mayweather? That's so where, you know the and he lost because he's a, he's not a boxer. Yeah, Floyd Mayweather versus yeah. Conor McGregor. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'll kick your ass, Mike. You know, the the, the buildup was great for that fight. I love you. Know, that was all. It was awesome. But again, there, there's there's your real world example. Yeah, you, a UFC fighter can fight in UFC. Uh, a, a wrestler, wrestlers going to UFC. Brock Lesnar did a great job. You know, pretty good, pretty decent, from what I understand. CM Punk did not. Uh, but you know McGregor, what the the at the at that time, to my knowledge, one of the best fighters in UFC stepped into a boxing ring with one of the with arguably the best boxer in that weight class. I think middleweight, maybe I'm, I'm not a box. I don't know all this crap, and got it and, and got beat because the sweet science is different from what you do in an octagon. Yeah, you know, so that you know that's that's a fact. We li- we literally saw it play out in the real world. Use that. He's, you know, Gyllenhaal's just a bouncer, but he is a fucking good bouncer. 
So when somebody comes and tries to pick a fight with him in a bar setting, he knows what's what. You know, he's he might be using he, he's utilizing you know in the fight have him utilize you know the bottles, the tables, whatever in the bar. He, you know because you're, you're you know it's it's like going to fight a lion. You know you fight a lion you fight a lion. Period. You're probably gonna fucking die. But you go to savannah, you're on home turf. You know you, you I'll fight a shark on land. I ain't fighting him in the fucking ocean. Same principle. You don't fight a you know you don't fight a UFC fighter in an octagon, and you don't fight a, a the the world's greatest bouncer in a bar. There you go. See, we're script. See, Jesse, we just we just need we need to do a script doctor podcast, which is called <laughs> Script Doctors, and our theme song will be we'll, and actually uh, we'll we'll do a remake. We'll do a, a, a Weird Al version of Two Princes, you know, because Ben Doctors, Script Doctors, one two Script Doctors talk before you. That's what I said. Now, <laughs> see, it, see, it just all this stuff writes itself. We're geniuses, Jesse. God damn it. We're geniuses. Oh. No, just, <laughs> uh, just kidding. Anyway, <laughs> enough of that. Uh, but score-wise, Roadhouse, I give it a – if, if it was an hour and a half, I'd give it an eight. As it is, I give it a seven hmm. uh, on my scale. There's, again, nothing, nothing necessarily bad about it. I will watch anything with Patrick Swayze in it. You know, We've watched Dirty Dancing on this podcast for Patrick Swayze, but Dirty Dancing is honestly a good movie. <laughs> And Roadhouse again, not it's. I don't think it's as ter- it is cheesy. It is absolutely cheesy because I never would have wanted guest. You know, without 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 the cast, without Sway- the Swayze, without Swayze and Elliot in this movie, it's it's really it would never have ever been on my radar. You had to have, for this movie to work, you had to have a name in it, and you know. I mean, I can imagine Arnold or Stallone in this movie. I, I could. It would be totally. It would be even cheesier. But you know, I think they for this particular film, they I think they got it right with the casting, and of course the cinematography, and uh, all that stuff. Van Damme, so, yeah, would be a backup. Oh, that, that that would be good. But you know, but honestly, but that's the thing. Swayze honestly has such a. You know, Van Van Damme is is you know he's smaller than Arnold or Sly, mm-hmm. but he's still like. Fucking ripped. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, now Swayze is absolutely ripped, but in a much more, I don't know, he he seems obtainable. (laughs) And, and, (laughs) you know, I mean, he's not a bodybuilder at all. You know, I mean, I mean, he obviously, he's obviously in shape and he looks fantastic, but he's not like, you know, I mean, again, he's not like Arnold or Sly to where, like, I mean, it's just like muscles on muscles. He's got like a farm boy build. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, no, honestly, that's yeah. That's uh, really that, seriously. That's a really good way to put it. Uh, you know, it's 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 not out of. He, he's not ridiculous, right? But he's fu- I mean, he's fucking. Ri- I wish I had half. I wish I had a quarter of the body he had in this movie. <laughs> uh, I mean, perfect. You know, awesome, sh- fantastic shape. But he's not unrealistic to be. You know, you, you picture a bouncer. You picture some big, overweight, beer belly dude. You know, shirts way too tight metal chain necklace that's uh too big you know, the chain links are too big mm-hmm. uh might even have a lock on it you know that bald diamond stud earrings in one ear that's what i see when i think of a bouncer uh but you know it Sunglasses. works you know in this movie where we're going into this world you know it, it works it, you know the movie the movie works it's it, it's good it's it's fine it's not it's i don't think it deserved any razzies uh, but it doesn't have any Oscars either, but it does deserve a good watch or two over the course of your life because Swayze <sighs> gone too soon, man. But uh, in the real world, again, this released May 19th, 
1989, uh, as we've had several other movies that we've talked about. Uh, the two that were that this movie were that this movie was sandwiched between uh, Here No Evil, See No Evil, and Field of Dreams have both been covered on the podcast. And around this time in history, it was that's the, the main thing on Wikipedia, Tiananmen Square. But on the same day as this film released, Zhao Jiang meets with demonstrators in Tiananmen Square, and we haven't yet gotten in the timeline of that event to the actual massacre and all that. So again, as I say, every time we mention anything about Tiananmen Square. Uh, you know what? You want to talk about America's democracy being threatened and all that by uh, air quotes. You can't see fraudulent elections. Hmm. Uh, you know, go look about. You know, go look at the Tiananmen Square protests of people. Actually, that's what it actually looks like when people are fighting for democracy, not storming the fucking Capitol. Go look at Tiananmen Square. That's actual. That's actual people fighting for democracy hmm. in a communist nation. So go look at that into political rant. Send us your one star reviews because I said something, one thing that you disagree with at a, in a two hour podcast. <laughs> Actually, Jesse, where are we at, Jesse? Curiously, where, where, where are we at time? Uh, we're about 56 minutes in. That's it. Wow. I was going to say, I was going to assume we're at an hour and 20. I was going to stretch it out to hit an hour and 54 minutes, <laughs> just like Roadhouse. But that's on a tank. I can't talk for another hour. Well, no, you want it to be <laughs> cut down. About- <laughs> exactly. You know, we're going to get out here an hour and a half, everybody. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, movie release May 19th. May 11th, Cam Newton was born. And on May 20th, the day after this movie premiered, the incredibly talented Gilda Radner passed away. Of course, SNL, mm-hmm. uh, numerous movies, and love of Gene Wilder's life. Uh, so she got, she lived, she saw Swayze and was just like, oh my God. At least she got to see that, but she probably did, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But a uh, big loss in the comedy scene, Gilda Radner. Uh, go watch some old videos of her on SNL. She was one of the original – I think she was on the first season. I think she was an original SNL cast member. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was a, gr- a great documentary. I think it's called Dear Gilda. I think it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, but it's uh, very, very good. Uh, actually, it must not be called that because I didn't come up when Jesse searched it on <laughs> IMDb. Maybe it's just Gilda. Uh, but there is a documentary that came out very recently and it's very, very good. Uh, you know, uh, just seeing how love, you know, when you see how somebody in the, who is in the public eye and this, in the backstory and everything. And, uh, if you don't want to watch the documentary, just read the Wikipedia article about her and Gene Wilder. It's, it's, it's so sad. It's love. There you go. Not dear. Love Gilda. So there you go. Uh, wow. 2018. Wow. It seems like I just watched it like a few months ago, but, uh, yeah, yeah, watch on Prime Video. So there you go. Included with Prime. So if you want to see it, great documentary on a very talented lady, much like Swayze, gone too soon. Uh, back to the future this week. I haven't seen any. Haven't seen anything new that I didn't talk about last week. But uh, except Rick and Morty's back. If you're a Rick and Morty fan, uh, I personally think the show's fucking hilarious and genius. And I'm not an incel since that. Apparently, I don't know what people like. People think that if you like like it. It's like an incel show. I don't. I don't know why. I don't. I guess because incels quoted a lot. I don't know. But uh, I personally think Rick and Morty is a hilarious show and has some ingenious writing and uh, and that. And it's back. So uh, last episode, <laughs> the first, it's only three episodes in so far, and it's been it's been Rick and Morty. So uh, I mean, it, it goes places you don't think it's going to go. So <laughs> uh, Jesse, have you caught up or seen anything new since we talked last? Anything of note that is? Um, swamped in work as I usually am, but yeah. 
No, I don't think yeah. I've seen anything um, that stands out. Uh-oh. You didn't happen to uh, check out uh, Nope yet, have you? Or? I haven't. Nope. Okay. Nope. Nope, nope. on Nope yet. Nope. So, but short Back that. to the Future segment this week. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we blew our, I blew our, I blew my Back to the Future load last week uh, when we were talking about all that. Yeah. Uh, but we did get several emails that I'm going to go to right now. Uh, the first one we got from, uh, I won't read the email address, but on Gmail, uh, the name was Night's Watch. So Game of Thrones fan, Game of Thrones uh-huh. fans, I assume. But uh, he says, hey, guys, I just recently started listening to your podcast. I really like it so far. Trey put out a challenge to anyone who can name a band that was bigger than you two in 87. Well, I kind of I don't I have to go back and listen. Did I say 87 or did I say the 80s? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'll, but I'll stick with what you said. Uh, but Guns N' Roses came out with their debut album, which, of course, was Appetite for Destruction in 87. It went on to sell 30 million plus albums. U2 was a big band, but Guns N' Roses just exploded. So GNR beat it. Also the biggest band in the 80s, without a doubt. Anyways, keep up the good work, guys. That's his email. So now, I really, I, uh, I'm going to call you, I'm just going to call you Knights. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, nah, let's see, I'll call you NW. And, uh, I, don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think of something that rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Let me know what you want me to call you. <laughs> well, I used to, when we talk in conversation on the podcast. The because. <laughs> there you go the watchman uh, uh, i'll call you john snow since you're on the night's snow. watch i'll call you yeah, john snow you uh so let me know another name to call you but i did respond to email but of course since this was your first email we do respond on the show uh so you know, that's, that's the hook if you want if you want to hear what i gotta say about what you say you gotta listen to the show now i did some research now my goal my i was hoping to be i i ha- was not unable to find the data i was looking for was album sales by year like how many how many albums how many uh, albums appetite uh, appetite for destruction sell in 87 uh how many did it sell in 88 how many did it sell in 89 for 80 specific to have like an act try to have an accurate thing however i cannot find yearly sales for any of anything <laughs> just total sales mm. now you are 100 percent correct john Snow, you do know something, Jon Snow. Uh, <laughs> Appetite for Destruction is the biggest debut album. Uh, however, it was released in '87, but it did not catch on till a year later in '88. Uh, it oh. sold less than uh, I didn't write that down. Uh, I read it, but I, I have to. I don't have it in front of me. It didn't explode until '88. It was like it was kind of it was out for a year before anything major happened on it. But you are absolutely right. The end of the '80s, '88 to '80 to '89, '90 doesn't count. Guns N' Roses exploded. Appetite for Destruction, incredible album, still holds up. Uh, one of the most iconic album covers. Every, I have nothing bad to say about Guns N' Roses, except I wish they had put out more music uh, before. But I do have some, I, we can compare the two in the time frame of the 80s. So uh, again, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just going to put out data for us to extrapolate. And I, in a way, I'm going to, my my bottom. I'm going to skip to the. I'm going to skip to the end and then go over the data. I'm going to say we're both right because we can interpret it different ways. Uh, see, I saw. I found that kind of again. I'm talking to Jesse on a visual choke on audio podcast, mm-hmm. but uh, of course, all podcast. Pod, well, no, some podcasts are visual, so it's not just. Of course, it's audio. But uh, I couldn't find like no, like specific numbers to say. Okay, in the '80s, Appetite for Destruction sold this many copies from debut to December 31st, yeah. 1989. That's what I couldn't find. That's what I wanted to find for like hard data to actually give a definitive answer. Adding couldn't find that. Yeah. Exactly. That's the problem. So yes, GNR, 
Now, here's what we can he here's what we can extrapolate. Total album sales. Now, of course, U2 has been around since the 80s all the way to today. GNR has too, but but here's the data. Total album sales. U2, 135 million albums sold over the course of 20 albums. Now, that that's every album. That's their greatest hits. That's uh, Under a Blood Red Sky, which is a live album. So that's not necessarily studio albums. I want to say studio albums would be maybe around 12 uh, in terms of total. And I, I didn't do a comparison of that, though, to do it. Now, Guns N' Roses, 86 million records sold, 10 albums. And that also, again, includes greatest hits. Uh, I think they had a lot, one live album maybe in there. I'm not sure. I have to go back and check. Uh, now, individual album, they're two biggest, the biggest, YouTube's biggest selling album. Guns N' Roses' biggest selling album. Now, I'm not sure if this, if Appetite was their biggest selling. I think it might actually be. But uh, the the highest selling U2 album was The Joshua Tree. No surprise there. 25 million sold. We already mentioned Appetite for Destruction. As of today, this is now again, all these numbers are as of today. 30 million sold. So Appetite sold more than The Joshua Tree. Absolutely. We cannot dispute that. However, for the state, for the state, no. If I, if I did say just eighty-seven, actually, I'm still technically right because uh, in eighty-seven, again, Guns N' Roses exploded in eighty-eight. That's when Appetite took off and just blew the doors off everything. Uh, but if we're talking about just the eighties, again, there is an argument for what you're saying. There's an argument for what I'm saying. Uh, and, but an argument is a good word. I'm talking about it in terms of argumentative discourse, not talking heads yelling at each other because we're civil here on Eighties Revisited. Uh, so a, a good way to put it is early eighties, the biggest band was the police to my knowledge, uh, because at live aid, uh, there was, uh, two came on after the police is set and, uh, it's looked at as, by like in music history, that's kind of the police handing the baton to U two to be the biggest band of the eighties. Now 88 comes out, um, 88 hits appetite for destruction explodes. I'm not sure how many records it sold just in 88 and 89 to encapsulate the eight, just the 80s, but we do know how much they sold up until today. So we can't say 100% for sure that, oh, well, U2 sold more albums than Guns N' Roses in the 80s, which by itself, I would say, is impossible because U2 had one, two, three, five, or five uh, four albums and one live album in the 80s so you're already against one debut album so it's already an unfair comparison but i th let's agree i i think here's the here's the middle here's the the agreement the police were the biggest band in the early 80s two the biggest band in the middle of the 80s and then 1988 hits and guns and roses is becomes the biggest band in the world so i think that's a fair comparison however for <laughs> and again this is totally facetious john uh you know, U2 was a bigger band in the 80s longer than Guns N' Roses. Wink, wink. So, but regardless, there's that, again, that's all, again, anybody wants to, to challenge anything I say, please do. I love, it, one, of the be one of the best things any of us can do, here's a little soapbox thing, it, you always want people to that and around you or that can talk to you, that can keep you in check. We're not some big name podcasters. We're not. Oh they, oh, they got a Manscaped sponsorship? Dude, you know, many, you know how many podcasts have a Manscaped sponsorship? <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not joking. Like, seriously, yeah. like, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and they're all, you know, at first it was Blue Apron. We never got Blue Apron. I wish we got some free shit from Blue Apron, because that's food. And I love fucking food. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, excuse me. I love 
fucking as an adjective to describe <laughs> how much I love food. I don't actually like to have sexual intercourse with food. Got to clarify this day and age because things can take really, that out of context. Really <laughs> yeah, if, if somebody tells me I have to, I, if you fuck this steak, I will cook you this. Okay, sure, I'll fuck a steak to get you know it's something I want, you know, and I can't just go out and buy it. Of course, I'm being facetious. Uh, but anyway, Here's uh, a I lost my train of thought. Article for Appetite oh. Destruction did not blow up right away. Since months after the release, the album seemed to stall at two hundred fifty thousand dollars in sales. Because MTV wow. refused to play the music video "Welcome to the Jungle," mm-hmm. and then there so, was something yeah. like the uh, it was something about a radio station or something or, or no no I think the the label made it begged MTV to play it just like three times late at night and it became the most requested music video on MTV, which then snowball effect Guns N' mm-hmm. Roses blew the fuck up, and I mean and honestly looking you know we all everybody knows Appetite for Destruction now you know now. But can you ima- can you imagine it being out for a year? An album yeah. that's that good, that's that iconic, and just sits there for a year before it blows up. Which it also makes you think too. Or, I mean, and you should. Everybody should kind of have this re- rationalization anyway. Imagine the amazing albums that you're never gonna hear. The bet and somebody told me this a long time ago. The greatest boy, the greatest singer in the world will net you will never hear them because they're just you know they're not in a place where they're going to ever be exposed. That's being the greatest singer. Mm. You know, there's so many albums. There's so many songs that are amazing that will, would probably be your favorite song in the world that you will never hear because it's, it didn't get played on the radio. It didn't get played on MTV. It never, it never, that song or what our album never entered your sphere to where you could be exposed to it to be like, God, I can't believe I never heard this, you know, yeah, uh, like, yeah, exactly. For me, for streets of fire, once I, you know, the, we read it on the podcast. I saw the movie because I always heard about it. Uh, movie was fine. The, the soundtrack, the songs, Nowhere Fast, uh, Tonight is What It Means to Be Young. Those are, those are all my, those that were immediately added to my playlist, my current playlist on my iPad. And I, I love those. Those are two of my, like, I love those songs. Like, I would put them, I don't know, maybe not on a top 10 list, but I mean, they're two songs that I absolutely love. And they've been out for almost 40 years that I never heard of. You know, so it's that's a sad thing, but it's just the way the world works, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, so uh, and I have seen, you know, I, I I'm not saying this. That kind of sounds like a brag, but not. But I have seen you two, and I have seen you two live, and I've seen Guns and Roses live in the same year, as a matter of fact. So I didn't see Guns and Roses in the '80s, unfortunately, or the '90s, and for I wish I would have. Although I probably would have only seen half a show because Axel was a diva and stormed off and would <laughs> for the light the 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 lightest of uh, issues. Uh, uh, but now, again, my personal, personal opinion in concert, honestly, it's a really tough call, but U2 was a bigger deal for me because that's U2's always been my like absolute, you know, there, there are times where they weren't my favorite band, but like in hindsight, like today, looking back at my life and my musical preferences, you know, they overall, they are my favorite band. Uh, there was a time when Guns N' Roses was my favorite band. Use Your Illusion 1 or 2. When those hit and, and Appetite too. You know, Paradise City was uh, one of my, as a kid, was one of my most favorite songs because as a child, as a, a little, you know, as a as a eight nine year old, uh, probably a nine year old around that time, I guess by the time I was hearing Paradise City, you know, it was all about where the girls are pretty and they got big titties, you know, because on the playground, you know, as a child, as a male child, you're making funny lyrics, you know, you're doing the R-rated Weird Al thing. <laughs> 
So, well, you know, there was a time Guns N' Roses was my favorite. There was a time when Metallica was my favorite. You know, uh, yeah, we all kind of have like different favorite. We all, you know, we always have kind of cycles. Like Nirvana was my favorite band for a while. Uh, and then Pearl Jam was my favorite band for a while. You know, it all changed, especially in the grunge. You know, at that time when all these bands were coming out, man, it was like gang signs. Why are we in that Pearl Jam shirt in our Soundgarden area, bro? Hey, man, back off. I like all of them. Dude, haven't you heard of Temple of the Dog? Wait, what's that? Oh, you know, it's like Chris Cornell singing with like Eddie Vedder and other members of Pearl Jam. It's pretty great. What? I guess I like Pearl Jam too now. Yeah, man, they're all good. Not that 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 really happened, but I mean. You made me doubt myself, nerd. (laughs) Loser. Anyway. Dude, what's your problem? (laughs) What's your fucking problem, man? Anyway, so John, I hope I hope that was a uh, I hope you got some entertainment out of the discussion. Feel free to email anytime, any question, challenge me, please. Uh, again, I am not I am not right about everything. I just sound like it because uh, <laughs> you fake it till you make it or you prove wrong. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, great great email. That was a great question. I, I I really enjoyed looking that up to try to because I wanted to find I I like you know especially in this political climate you know I like facts. So if we can find some facts to better understand something, that is a good thing. And if I'm wrong and I find the truth, that is a good thing. It is good to be wrong and be put on the correct path in all aspects of life. And you're not on the correct path all the time. Not a single one of us is. So get over yourself, mm-hmm. myself included. Anyway, uh, moving on, we also got an email from our, uh, let's see, who's, I'm going to go in the order they in which they were received. Good, our good friend UK Pete took me up last episode also where I talked about Chariots of Fire wondering for an English, an Englishman's perspective ah. uh, on it. And uh, good old UK Pete was right on the ball and responded. He says, hey, Trey and Jesse, as far as I can recall, I have never seen Chariots of Fire. You're not a proper Englishman, Pete. <laughs> you are forbidden for entering Londinium ever again. Uh, condolences on the queen, by the way, in the UK. Uh, uh, he says he may, he goes on to say, may have seen clips and, of course, am well aware of the score, which everybody uh, is, and that theme and doing the slow mo running at school. But I do not recall seeing the film from start to finish, just not really my kind of film. I agree 100%. Uh, I know a lot of UK folks, however, hold it in high esteem, though. So I may be right in my assumption, but, mm. you know, different strokes for different folks. And I asked about the pronunciation of havers rhymes with shavers so i believe i pronounced it right at least once <laughs> and he nice. and again good old uk pete goes on to say fantastic beats is shite i agree boring as fuck and can clearly be seen as a cash-in on the hp universe rather than something fresh and new hope you are all well take it easy pete we are well pete hope the same for you uh i believe you're finishing up some repairs on your house if i remember correctly uh it's been a while since we talked so i hope all that's going well so uh Thank you for emailing. Thank you for listening. And always, Pete, uh, as president of the UK Fan Club, yeah, he's president of the UK Fan Club. We are always interested to hear what you got to say. So stay safe, my friend. And then f- say the best for last. Wink, wink. Good friend Ben Wyatt, Doomslayer himself, responding. Uh, sent us an email. Hello, my good friends. Recently, I decided not to not revisit, but instead visit for the first time some of your featured movies from the podcast and tell you what I thought. And so here we go. I love when Ben does the master Uh, dirty dancing. Somehow I've not seen this for my entire life and knew nothing other than the quote, nobody puts baby in a corner, which doesn't even make sense. (laughs) And there was a scene with on a log. It was really good though. And a nice change having a plot without huge stakes. Agree completely. Uh, The last shark, 
Uh, he goes on to say, I was browsing Tubi and I couldn't resist putting this on. The shark versus helicopter scene and the bit with the human dummy flying into the air were pretty amazing. Again, I agree. Uh, Pet Cemetery. Out of every mm. movie you've covered that I hadn't seen before, this is easily my favorite. Uh, Cody, his uh, fiance, was watching it from behind her hands because she was so frightened. <laughs> we both expected it to be all about crazy animals who were pleasantly surprised with the child angle. That's awesome. I love hearing that. Uh, especially a movie that I, I like hearing a movie that old uh, mm-hmm. still has the ability to do what it did for y'all. And I'm glad y'all enjoyed it. However, he goes on to say, Christine, whoever gave John Carpenter the name Master of Horror clearly <laughs> hasn't watched this boring piece of shit. <laughs> I love you, Ben. I, lo- I, you're, I, I You're so honest. I love it. I love a good, honest opinion. Uh, I disagree. Uh, I, I understand why. I understand what you're saying. Absolutely. Uh, it does have it does have its boring parts. I don't think it's one of Carpenter's best, but we have covered in the podcast. You can listen to my thoughts on that if you haven't. I know, I mean, I know you have, but uh, anybody else? But uh, I like Christine. Uh, it's got personality. It's not my favorite, but I think it's good. I don't think it's a boring piece of shit. But I understand that completely. And uh, he goes on to say, as for the upcoming Roadhouse, that is one of the finest movies to ever been released. As you know from the Bamcast, where I gushed over it. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I guess it's my Christine a little bit. Uh, not quite as bad as saying it's a boring wow. piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think I summed up my feelings. But uh, I, 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 again, I can. It's one of those things. Roadhouse is a movie to where I don't hold it as high as some people do, but I understand why people do. And I would not. I'm not going to shit all over it. Just get a bit. <laughs> Love you, buddy. Uh, Wink, wink. Uh, House of the Dragon. Cody and I are watching it and up to date, but I couldn't give a flying fuck about any character in it. That isn't because it's a prequel, but it's rather practically every piece of dialogue is about which character should marry which, and I couldn't care any less. And to be honest, uh, the last the last episode was pretty good. I thought with the the uh, the banquet. If if that's is the in fact the the last one, I think it is because yeah, because on Sunday. So yeah, the last episode was. It's it's picking up. Uh, I do find it kind of like the Wish version of Game of Thrones, if that makes sense. You know, oh, I ordered Game of Thrones and I got the the Wish version instead of the Amazon, however you want to put it. You know, that that joke goes. Uh, I just find kind of like you know, there's like you know in in the I think one of the the biggest things about the OG Game of Thrones series was that you're following the Starks, and they're pretty much the only people in Westeros that you, that are worth caring about. Cause they actually are decent people mm-hmm. and everybody else is a piece of shit that are, everybody's playing the game of Thrones and they just want to, they just don't want to be bothered with it for the most part, you know, cause Ned reluctantly becomes the hand and draws his family into all the drama that happens. Whereas in house of the dragon, it's a prequel. So it already has a knock against it. Cause we, you know, I mean, of course it's years in the future. So it's not, it's not like, you know, Ned Stark showing up. But uh, if you remember certain moments from Game of Thrones, you kind of know how some people die in this unless, yeah. you know, they change it. They change it in it. But, uh, you know, I'm going to watch it till the end. Uh, I don't like Matt Smith. Uh, I take it back. I take it back. I, this is the only show where I'm kind of coming around to him on. Uh, hated him in Terminator Salvation. Hated him in more. Actually, no. He was, he was hilarious in Morbius. So uh, <laughs> there's that. Uh, but I just, I, I, again, I didn't watch, uh, David Tennant was, was my doctor. And when he left doctor who, I just, I watched the first few episodes of Matt Smith's doctor. And for me personally, I just couldn't get on board. 
Again, that's just me. I know people love him the best. Bow ties are cool, whatever. What the fuck ever, man. Uh, but, you know, it's not, he's not a, it's not that he's a bad actor. It's just he's never been good at anything that I've seen him in that I can think of. However, uh, the fight scene in House of Dragon uh, on the beach with him was pretty good. Uh, I think they're I think they're making his character a little too, like, OP, if that makes sense, <laughs> in the show. But I'm, I'm going to finish watching it. I'm, and then the, and Ben goes on to close Lord of the Rings show. Yeah, right. As if I'm watching that. <laughs> Talk later, <laughs> homies. Uh, I've only I, now the Lord of the Rings show, most expensive TV show ever made. By the way, uh, I've watched the first two episodes, and I think there's I'm I'm one maybe one or two behind. I just don't feel like I will watch them eventually. But it's not like ooh, I got to see what happens next. And it's not because there's you know, but because. Bec- one of the, I think one of the biggest things in 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 just culture today is the assumption that you know if you don't like something it's because of a um I, I'm not okay I'm not gonna say a racist reason a racist or oh, sexist reason yeah. you know that whole thing about it's I, I don't think the show's bad I'm just not interested in it 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 doesn't keep my attention now also remember. The Rings of Power TV show is following up, in my opinion, you know, argue uh, it is the it is absolutely arguable the greatest trilogy of all time, not the fucking Hobbit trilogy because that shit can go blow goats. But the Lord of the Rings trilogy is, you know, the Hobbit trilogy is to Lord of the Rings what the prequel Star Wars trilogy is to Star is the OG Star Wars trilogy. Uh, but younger people are fucking thinking the prequel Star Wars trilogy is fucking better than the OG. It's like, no, that is 100% nostalgia. Anyway, I don't want to go on that tangent. I'm going to say Lord of the Rings tangent. <laughs> I'm going to say Lord of the Rings. But, you know, the, the Lord of the Rings movies, they still hold up. They're still amazing. Seriously, legitimately are still good movies. Now, is there a lack of diversity in them? Yes. You know, not that that makes them a bad movie. It makes them a product of their time. I guess to where they they weren't you know looking at that or, or thinking that you know forward thinking I guess you know can you fault it for that I guess some people can I personally can't uh, but this new series has nothing you know my distaste for it or my un my disinterest in Rings of Power has nothing to do with any of that it is simply because honestly I find Elrond and Gladriel boring to be honest, that's my opinion you know a uh, couple of good fight scenes so far uh but that's you know it's that's it i just don't feel like the story's going anywhere i feel like it's kind of treading stuff that we've kind of seen in the trilogy you know alluded to or i say alluded or like kind of references sort of in a sense uh you know so but house of dragon to me you know it's it's you know i don't i don't i didn't mind that there you know it's not you know th- there's you know that show to me is just not as good as game. You know, it's following Game of Thrones. It's True Detective season two. If True Detective season two came out before True Detective season one, I guarantee you people would have been like, "This is great." It had to follow the arguably one of the greatest seasons of television ever made, in my opinion. The first season of True Detective, the season with McConaughey and yeah. Woody Harrelson, that is one of the greatest seasons of television, bar none. And the, the, the bar was set too high. Lord of the Rings set the bar too high. If the Hobbit trilogy came out before Lord of the Rings, I might have liked it. I like might have liked it better. But no, it had to follow Lord of the Rings. And it was fucking stupid. My opinion. 
uh, Rings of Power is following, you know, it's it's it, its tone is kind of between The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, you know. Uh, but it's it's just I don't know. It's just it's just not hit for me yet. Will I finish it? Absolutely. Am I excited? Am I like waiting for the next episode? No. House of the Dragon. It's it's I'm getting more interested each episode. Another great example would be She Hulk. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I'm in a, I'm in a Marvel shit posting group on Facebook. And if you don't know what shit posting is, it's meant, it's meant to make memes that are tongue in cheek that are meant to elicit responses from people who don't understand that they're in a shit posting group. <laughs> uh, and it's just like, you know, like my problem with She-Hulk, actually, I, I don't have a problem with it now. I think it was, I didn't like how the, I, I don't like how they did the origin, but again, like, you know, it's, it's, it, it doesn't mean that the show is bad. I didn't, you know, and it, the main thing is, and it's, it's hard. I th- and like, uh, it's hard for like, when you like source, mat- when you love the source material of something and they make a movie or, uh, if it's a comic book and they do a novel or a concept album for Christ's sake, whatever, when you're going between mediums, it is one of the hard, in my personal th- point of view, it's hard to separate those mediums sometimes. Uh, I'm, I've been reading comics since I was a little kid. You know, I've, I have actually read She-Hulk comics. I, I know her character from the comics. So was I excited about the show? I was excited that we were getting a show that's not just in the MCU, that's not formulaic MCU. So points and point, positive points. Oh, she's breaking the fourth wall like Deadpool. Deadpool was not the first character to do that. He's the first one in the quote unquote MCU to do it. You know, so again, you can't say that a show that does a new show that does it is copying something that you saw before when it actually kind of predates it. Cause go look at some of John Burns covers for the She-Hulk series. He's breaking the fourth wall over the place, but you know, you can't, it is hard. And I'm, I'm not saying this because I feel attacked. I'm not saying, I'm just pointing out an observation. Uh, people, you can say anything about me you want, but please don't say that I'm a racist or a sexist or anything, or don't, don't call me something that I'm not. That's my, that's my only, I don't like being misrepresented. Uh, I don't mind being ignorant on something and being corrected so I can adjust how I think on something or, or, or how I phrase something because, you know, we're, we all, I don't know. I don't know everything there is to, to know about African-American history or LGBTQ history or you know what? I don't know what it's like to be a woman in the modern world. I don't, you know. So when I, and, and and I believe that representation matters. So you know, I, I don't have a problem with the She-Hulk show. It's funny, you know. Is there some cringe? Yes, there's some cringe in every MCU movie, you know. Uh, but my dist- you know, the things I don't like about it are nowhere related to the you know the color or gender of anybody in it. Uh, and that's in, uh, let, no, here's, here's the, here's the biggest one, the little mermaid. Now we've covered the little mermaid on the podcast. Uh, Ariel was, you know, when I growing up in the eighties, my, the, some of the most, you know, some part of my sexual awakening was redheads. Sorsha from Willow, Ariel, uh, Elvira is a natural redhead. Uh, the list goes on. The beat goes on as the macho man says. You know, but people being upset, you know, with the with the Little Mermaid thing, it's. I think I, I think part of that is nostalgia, because nostalgia is extremely powerful in how people people's opinions on things are formed. Uh, you know, I I am 
I have been a proponent for Idris Elba to be Bond for a long time. Once I learned he was English, I wanted him to be Bond. And you have people, oh, you know, now Puff Daddy's like, I'd like to be Bond. Like, no, 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 no. You can't be Bond because you can't act. But Idris Elba would be an amazing Bond. But the, unfortunately, the man's getting older every day, like we all are. So, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's probably ne- unfortunately never going to happen. You know, oh, you can't have a black Bond. Why not? Explain to me what, oh, the character's white in the book. Well, the character's also English in the book, but he's been played by a Scotsman, an Irishman. So uh, what does that matter? So your point's invalid. Uh, so, but anyway, Little Mermaid stuff, you know, two point, over 2 million dislikes on the trailer. And I watched the teaser. It's, and now, first off, I, don't, I haven't liked any of the Disney live action reboots, personally. Any of them. Didn't like Beauty and the Beast. The only one that I thought was, that I somewhat enjoyed was Aladdin. To be honest, like a Jungle Book. The Jungle Book was I like the Jungle Book, uh, you know. And and again, the, the thing is, you're also talking. These are live action versions of films that are like a extremely iconic and incredibly nostalgic and sentimental to people who grew up with them. Now, if you're gonna make a, uh, if you're making a, you know, I understand. I understand. You know, uh, let's see, uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. The Halloween remake, the Friday the 13th remake, you know, those remakes, I was upset about them. I wasn't upset, you know, now, now they didn't do anything as bold as making as race or as, as gender swapping or race swapping any characters. That wouldn't matter if the, if the movies were good. Those movies sucked. Every one of them. Uh, for uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the movie sucked, but Jackie O'Haley was a good Freddy. We can't have Robert England anymore. He was good. Then he, the makeup was what's bad for him, and the, and the script was terrible. You know, uh, Friday the 13th remake, to me, you know, it, it's kind of grown on me a little bit. Uh, if you look at it more as a homage and not a remake, so to speak, you know, so there, are, you know, when something's remade, there's, it's going to be different. Ariel's skin color doesn't make a damn difference to the, the movie, except that, oh, well, she was a white redhead in the movie. In the in the animated yeah in the animated movie, go read the story. I think she's like green or like trans like she's weird like she's not human looking in the story. Why aren't you complaining about that? And I th- and my I, I I have not done a poll, but I'm just I th- I think a lot of I think a good portion of the of the people who are upset is because of the nostalgia of they want the version that they saw when they were younger to be the remake. I'm not justifying anything. I'm just giving a different perspective. Uh, are some of the people that are upset racist? Absolutely. Absolutely. But when somebody, you know, if somebody says, oh, I don't like, I don't, I'm not excited for that. They're not, they're not racist for saying that they might be if they explain themselves and they say, well, because Ariel's black. Well, yeah, you're a racist. Then, <laughs> if that's the reason you're not going to see it. <laughs> I, you know, am I going to see it? Yes. Am I excited for it? No. Because, again, aside from, you know, the Jungle Book and Aladdin, I don't, I, all these Disney live action remakes have been complete wastes of my time for me personally. Mm-hmm. For that, you know, for that reason, I didn't like the movies, you know, uh, Beauty and the Beast didn't care. You know, honestly, I think Emma Watson was the ba- a bad choice for Belle. <laughs> I don't uh, I She's. I don't. She, I think she's she's a she's a serious actress. I I, I I I couldn't buy her as being that character. I think they you know they could have had Margot Robbie being Beauty and the Beast. 
as a brunette, that'd have been great. But I'm biased to Margot Robbie. Not because she's white, because I think she's a good actress and I have a crush on her. Uh, you know, that's the reason uh, for me personally. Uh, you know, and all this outrage over that, you know, it's now, you know, the th I guess what my point is, if somebody doesn't like something, listen to the reasons they don't like it before you label them something. There's a lot of overreaction about things. But some of that is warranted. I'm not saying I'm not discounting it. So don't nobody misquote me here. For and if you're gonna give us one star for me being us being more woke and more progressive, so be it. I'll take that and wear it with pride. One star general. Uh. Anyway, but anyway, so uh, wee wee woke alert should have done that earlier. Sorry, sorry, Ben. I know you like the alarm. Can't do it too loud because Violet's sleeping upstairs. Uh. But yeah, you know, uh, all that, all that, you know, that, that's ridiculous. It, it really is. In in. You know, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the teaser is so short for Little Mermaid. The mm -hmm. now the effects, the effect, like it looks good, like visually it looks great. Uh, except when it shows her face singing underwater, it does. I, I don't kind of buy that she's underwater. I think Aquaman did a good job of like displaying underwater talking the way they did it. Uh, but again, it's a fucking movie. You, you got to hear what you can't just hear. Blah, 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 <laughs> you know, you have to, you have to, you know, it's a movie, get, you know, for, for that, you know, so, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it, people, everybody just wants to have something to be angry about these days or something, you know, right. how about we watch the movie and then, and then talk about it, like we do here, we watch movies and then we talk about what we like and don't like. And you know what you've never heard uttered on this podcast? Well, uh, it was a Asian lead character. So uh, it sucked. You never heard that because <laughs> that's, that is never a reason to discount something. And if that is ever a reason you have to dislike something because of the race or gender of the character and not the performance, the editing, the right, like people who can explain why they don't like something have my utmost respect. Uh, when you say like uh, I'm in a lot of movie groups on Facebook and it's like, Oh, I just watched that movie fall, man. I thought it was, I thought it was good. The cinema, you know, and, and I'll give my reasons why I liked them. People like you get response. Like, no, it's, I thought it sucked. Okay. I don't care because you're not, you're not at, you're not adding anything. It's like when people say, Oh my God, I just saw uh what was a uh, prey. I thought it was great. Amazing movie. Well, there's another one. People say like, Oh, you don't like it. Cause the lead character is a woman. no, no, I mean, I, well, I like the movie, so I'm not, I can't, I'm not even in that camp, but you know, some people just didn't like it, which is fine. As long as you're not disliking it because there's a native American lead in the film and they happen to be female, you know, as long as that's not the reason you dislike it, you know, and that's, that's oh God would pray. Like, well, how's this little girl going to beat a predator? How did Arnold beat a predator? He didn't beat him with his muscles. You can't beat a pre that's the point that's the whole point of the predator. You can't beat it with your strength. You have to beat it without think you have to beat it by outthinking it. That's the whole point of it. Aliens you have to beat with firepower. You know, uh as in, you know, xenomorphs, xenomorphs. Predators, you can't compete with their weapons. You are outmatched. The only way to beat a predator is to outthink it, which is why it doesn't matter if it's a little girl or a muscle-bound uh you know, Navy SEAL, whatever he was, Green Beret, I think. Uh, no, that was uh, Commando. I eat Green Berets for <laughs> breakfast. Uh, but Bill Duke, who was also in Predator. Uh, you know, so it's just, you know, 
And you know what I love? I say I love, but while we're on this topic, I love when people, when you're talking about like a superhero movie, it was un- it's unrealistic that Captain America could catch that shield. It would like decapitate him. Uh, <laughs> but all the others, like Thanos snapping and, it, and it having stones that could control reality is, is a pass, but Captain America can't catch his fucking shield. Yeah. You know, uh, like, uh, and you know, honestly, <coughs> excuse me. I think a big part of this is, you know, Facebook and social media, the older I get, the more I see how much of a bane and how evil it is and how just how it has absolutely destroyed parts of society <laughs> in terms of like, you know, and I say that half tongue in cheek with, uh, you know, because now everybody's a critic and everybody already was a critic. But social media gives so many people a voice to where it's like, uh, you know, for example, like w- with a lot of the examples I've already given, like, oh, this people are hating on, you know, people are sending hate mail to this person because of this. Uh, I'm not saying people aren't, but how many people are, you know? Oh, I got, you know, it's, it's so, it's almost, it's, uh, nah, I'm not going to go there because that's, that's really not, that's really a bad example. And that, that does actually happen. And that, that might come off a little crass on my part to use that as an example. But, you know, when people hate on something, when the people are hating on prey, it's just like, Oh, they have a voice. Oh, it's getting review review bombed. Yeah, that is you know that is true. But are are there are there really that many people reviewing it to intentionally for the reason that these art that the articles are stating that is lowering its review? I don't know. I'm just I'm just asking questions. I'm just I because again I want to know what the data says, what the truth is. Uh, you know, because in this day and age, it's easy to have receipts. When people leave reviews saying, oh, this person says they hate Spielberg, and we go back and listen to the tape, we roll back the receipts. Nobody said that. When people say that, oh, we say we said somebody was killing people by not getting vaccinated, we roll back the tape. Not the verbiage used. So, again, we got receipts because why? Everything I say is recorded. <laughs> so, yeah. good or bad. You know, and in my point of view, from my point of view, it's a good thing because if somebody wants to, if some, if I say something that is wrong and somebody sends an email like Jon Snow did about, you know, saying, oh, I don't think you choose the biggest band of the 80s. We tried to crunch the data. We came to, we came to some facts. We found some facts about it. And in my opinion, I think, I think there's a good middle, you know, that we, there's a reasonable way to look at it. To where I, you know, I can I can say that my favorite band of the '80s and one of the biggest bands of the '80s is U2. But if we look at the data, we can say for this part of the '80s, U2 was the biggest band. By the end of the '80s, it was Guns and Roses, and then just a few years later, it wasn't Guns and Roses anymore. It was Nirvana and Seattle and all that, and then it became boy bands again. You know, the music, the the trends change, ebbs and flows, all through history, just like it always does. So the bottom line is, if you're going to be critical of something, I guess, be sure to enunciate your reasons why, number one. And, you know, do it as well as you can. And, if, and, if, and, and don't be so quick to judge people. If somebody says they hate it, take a breath, see if they're not done talking yet, and let them say why they hate it before you're like, oh, are you racist? Or, oh, you're this. Because they very well may be racist. They very well may be sexist. But they also might not until you actually hear their reasons why. Uh, so remember, it's important to, li- you know, conversation is a two-way street. Of course, on a podcast like this, <laughs> unless you send an email, uh, it's a one-way street. But uh, again, everybody has their opinions and everybody's entitled to them. Mm-hmm. But some opinions 
are in fact wrong. So as always, uh, oh, go ahead, Jesse. I'm sorry. Uh, there's always rule number three. Be nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and honestly, you're goddamn right. Uh, civil conversation, because you know the word argument in this, uh, I'm getting on my, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I put on my pipe for this. Oh yes. The word argument dates back to the ancient Greeks. Uh, no, but you know, argument, the word argument in American culture is like, you know, you motherfucker, why are you, why'd you do, you know, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a screaming match, but no, the word argument is actually mainly meant to mean a discussion. Like, you know, what's okay. What is your argument for this, for this issue? Right. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's not, meant to be a negative connotation. You know, we can, you know, a good civil argument is a great thing for both people involved. You know, the, you know, argumentative discourse is what a discussion, what discussion should be. Well, you know, I, you know, I have points A, B, and C, and you have points one, two, and three. Let's listen to, let's listen to each other and compare them. So that then we know that the actual truth is A1, B2, C3, or it might be A2, C, you know, if you get my, if you get my analogy there, you know, so, but anyway, I've talked enough about this. This is, uh, <laughs> we had, you know, we got, we got real, you know, what happens when the podcast, podcast hosts stop being silly and start getting real, real world 80s revisited. But anyway, if you want to send an email, 80s revisited at gmail.com on Facebook, 80s revisited podcast on Instagram, 80s underscore revisited. And of course, shout out to our friends far and near, uh, John with Cajun Tour Review on YouTube. He cranks them out, uh, I, uh, I, I like watching his videos before I get some toys that I want to get for just display on a shelf or, you know, to pass them off as, Hey, Hey, Autumn, Violet really likes this GI Joe toy. I'm going to get it for wink, wink mm-hmm. to myself kind of thing. So, and then of course, uh, Ben Wyatt, uh, TCW wrestling, check out doom slayer there. And again, if you want some more info on roadhouse and hear what Ben says on roadhouse and his sexy Australian accent or Tasmanian accent, I forget which one he prefers. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. It's been a long time since I said that phrase. I think you're happy with Australian, if I remember correctly from our discourse. Correct me if I'm wrong, because again, not always right. Anyway, but uh, the uh, the Bamcast, just search Bamcast, and there's a Roadhouse episode and a lot of good content. Love hearing uh, Ben talk. Always a pleasure, also to get an email from our good wrestling friend from down under in TCW. And also, be sure to check out TCW and uh, Doomsday on YouTube. Check out those matches; they're great, uh, really entertaining, especially the ones where. Uh, he gets slapped by a little girl in the crowd and then has PTSD about it for a trick or treat. Great little video segment there. And of course, you know, we'd appreciate if you leave a review, uh, good or bad. We don't care. But again, please don't just say one star. This podcast sucks. Tell us why. And remember, we got the receipts. And again, if you leave a one star review as well, talk about it on the next episode after we see it. So you should listen to that episode, dear the rebuttal. Uh, if you're true to your convictions, that is. Uh, wait, what's, wait, what's that we'll from? We'll talk about uh, any other reviews. No, yeah. Well, we won't incentivize one star. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. But uh, next week, everybody, we are knocking on the door of October, which means we're getting close to Halloween horror. And next week, we're going to have probably what mo- a, a, a film that most people don't know, but it's actually a film in the exorcist universe and, and actually a sequel of some sort uh, to the exorcist. And no, it's not the exorcist too. It is a film called the ninth configuration. Uh, If you haven't seen it, I would recommend just, I'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere. I'll try to tweak that information out 
I, excuse me. I <laughs> like I'm going to fucking tweet. Uh, a chance of me <laughs> tweeting as much as men watching Lord of the Rings, uh, uh, Rings of Power. Uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook. Since that's all integrated. But anyway, uh, it's got uh, Stacey Keach and uh, oh, what's his name? I, f- uh, I forget the actor's name, but he played Herschel in Walking Dead. Uh, Scott something, I think. I can't remember his name. Uh, but it's a, this is a, it's a film that I saw, first saw on VHS a long time ago. And uh, I'll, 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 I'm, I'm telling you now. I'll tell you on the episode. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, the ninth configuration. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I, it, it is one that I would recommend. Uh, it's pretty. Uh, I haven't I haven't seen it since VHS, so I'm really excited to rewatch it again. But it is it's kind of a. It's a, again, it has ties to The Exorcist. So if you think, oh, I'm an Exorcist fan, I've seen Exorcist one, two, three, the beginning, uh, the prequel, whatever it was. I think there's five Exorcist movies. I think five or six. Uh, but you might not have seen this one, so give it a shot. It's good. Trust me, it's good. All-star cast, too, by the way. A lot of uh, veterans of the podcast. Scott Wilson. Scott Wilson from uh, Walking Dead is in it. So Herschel, old Herschel himself. <laughs> and uh, and don't forget, uh, Mr. President, I'd like to know what the hell like, you think you're doing. <laughs> Robert Loggia. Right, the late, great Robert Loggia. And Tom Adkins from Halloween and Night of the Creeps. later. <laughs> is in it, but yeah. Gotta, yeah. Gotta, gotta, gotta save uh, some. Yep, yep. I'm just, I'm just, I'm wetting it. I'm wetting your appetite, <laughs> licking your lips to talk about the ninth configuration. But again, uh, it might be hard to find. I'm not sure if it's streaming. Uh, Jesse, you mind scrolling up to say watch on watch on Freevee, um, AMC Plus. Uh, maybe be on Tubi. Yeah, I haven't even heard of that, but ads. it might. Oh, there you go on Freevee. So yeah, you so you can watch it on Freevee. Uh, I think it is a it is a bit long of moving, so I'm not sure if you want to watch it with ads. Be like, well, get, hey, you know what the ads do? They give you breaks, you get more snacks, and take a piss. Yep. So uh, there you go. So in the meantime, until next time, everybody, I will hopefully remain your bouncer du jour, Trey Harris, Jesse Sedgley, Cowabunga! Be nice. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>